is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 437, recorded on Thursday, June 27th, 2019. Welcome to the program, everyone, and welcome to the long weekend in Canada. Long weekend. Nice. It's uh, Canada's birthday coming up on Monday, so we know that affectionately here as Canada Day, and we all get a day off. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. I'm really looking forward to some, you know, a day off of work. So happy Canada Day to everyone in Canada and those Canadians who are outside of the country right now. Uh, the U.S. has Independence Day on the 4th of July, right? But that's not until next Thursday. So do they celebrate that next weekend? No. They, they, they get the same as us. If it happens on a weekend, then they get an extra day off. But if it doesn't happen on the weekend, we get that day off. Uh, yeah, I know, but it's on the Thursday, so it's closer to next weekend than this weekend. Yes, so, that's right. So A week from today, yes. What's your question? Wh- which weekend do they celebrate it? The weekend after or the weekend before? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, well, they get the, the actual fourth off, but what, uh, I guess it's up to them, what uh, individual people, which weekend they want to celebrate it. Right, but what I'm, they get. Oh. <laughs> I'm confused, man. Okay. Explain yourself. Really quickly. When Canada Day falls on a weekday, don't yeah. we move the holiday to the like pre, like the Monday or something like that? So we get the long weekend. If it's a Wednesday, the first, no. we don't get the Wednesday off, do we? Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, are you sure? Because yes, there's always a long weekend for Canada Day. No, there's always a day off for Canada Day. If it happens to fall on a weekend, we get a long weekend. I think we I always get July 1st off, except for when it falls on the weekend. Then we get the Monday proceeding off. That's what I'm saying. We always get the long weekend. We always get the Monday off. No, we don't. We get the day off unless the day, the July 1st falls on a Saturday or a Sunday. If that's the case, we get the Monday off. But if it falls on a Wednesday, we get Wednesday off. Well, we can debate this later. I feel like we always get the Monday off, but what the hell do I know? I've only been doing it for 44 years. Yeah. Well, now you're making me doubt it, so... Okay. Not not important right now. Anyways, happy long weekend, everyone. Happy uh, Independence Day in the States coming up soon, whenever the hell it happens. Uh, And everyone else around the world, I hope you have a day off of work, too, for whatever good reason. Yeah, just skip it. Just skip the day. If you're Canadian and you're in a country that doesn't celebrate Canada Day, like every country other than Canada, just take the day off anyway. Don't go to work. Don't go to work. You have our permission. Yeah, All right. I don't think people should go to work on their birthdays either, but everybody I can't come to work today. It's my birthday. Yeah, everybody does. Um, anyhow, that turned into more of a debate than I thought it would. All I wanted to do was wish everyone a happy holiday. But uh, it's time to talk about season five, episode four of Fear the Walking Dead. And this episode had 1.66 million viewers, which is the lowest of the season so far. Oh, well, it's the only one that features a cat. Prominently, so that's right. Is that right. a coincidence? It might be. People hate cats, man. <laughs> I mean, I like cats. I mean, people either hate cats or love cats. I feel like cats are rather polarizing. Um, I know they are in my house because I like cats, but the rest of the family's not so keen on them. Well, Which is cats weird. Cats are very polarized yeah. to begin with. 
I guess so. They're either bottle, bundles of fur that uh, love you and pet you, or if you touch their bellies, they will eviscerate your hand. Don't do that. I All in one lovely package. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I wouldn't touch a cat in the wrong place, that's for sure. Uh, so 1.66 million viewers is the lowest of this season so far, but it's not vastly different than what we have been seeing uh, in the first four episodes. Uh, so, you know, it's I, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. I wouldn't say it's a great thing. It is what it is. And yep. uh, we'll continue tracking the ratings as the season goes on. Okay, season five, episode four, called Skidmark. Skidmark is, of course, the name of the cat in the episode. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd ask you, Jason, how do you feel about that name for an animal, Skidmark? That's fine. Just fine? Uh, yeah, I like uh, I like the name. It uh, represents, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, you know, when you squeal out or you jump on your brakes too hard, you leave a Skidmark. You do? That's right. Yeah. But... I mean, you're thinking of something else, aren't you? No, no, I'm not. I'm not thinking of anything else. Uh, that's exactly what Skidmark means. I just don't like it as a name for a cat. I, I don't know what it is. I prefer like cat fluffy. names or fluffy. Well, fluffy is fine, I guess. Mr. Meowington. That's okay. Absolutely. Um, but Her monster. See, these are all good. Uh, or, or even people names. Like, I think it's funny when people name their animals with human names. That's Steve. always funny. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife's cousin used to have a, a dog named Bill, which I think is... <laughs> you see, that's a good name for a dog. See? I know. <laughs> well, that because it's a Lord of the Rings reference. No. Well, I don't think they know that. But the, oh, okay. the dog was named Bill. Uh, Bill was an awesome uh, ass. He was a donkey. Yeah. Well, Skidmark doesn't really work for me. Anyways, uh, I have a few general reactions to this episode from our Facebook page that I thought I would start with. So Mark says, three episodes without Matt Frewer and more annoying kids. I'm disappointed. Jeff said, loved it. That was Al in the tactical gear when the kids saw the operative in the road. Jerry said, liked the episode very much, but needed more skid mark. Steven said, excellent. And Aji or Aji said, terrible. So we got reactions all over the map there. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, And, you know... I don't know if it needed more Skidmark, Jerry. I think there maybe was just the right amount of Skidmark in the episode. I think we'll talk about the cat a little bit more as we go on. It was scene to scene, whether we needed more Skidmark. Some scenes we needed more Skidmark, some scenes we needed less Skidmark. Sure, yeah. Um, but overall, you can't really judge <laughs> on, on the whole. <laughs> yeah. uh, Al was in the tactical gear when the kids saw the operative in the road, according to Jeff. And I'm afraid, Jeff, that is not the case. Yeah, it, I didn't I didn't think that. No, it's it's not Al. It is a member of the people with the of the group of people with the helicopter. And apparently the character's name is Isabel. So I think we're going to be getting more from that character uh in future episodes. Oh well yeah. We can't they can't not have more now that they've shown it and set it up. Right. Like and, obviously and, we're gonna get more of them. And given her a name. But I mean her spe- that character specifically, that one. Right. Uh, maybe she's left behind for whatever reason, but that is Isabel. There's even pictures of, of the character out there, I think officially released by AMC. So I'm afraid it was not Al, um, but it was Isabel. Is- Isabel. Oh. Is- Isabel. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Um, well, Jason, before I play a call here from somebody to kind of kick things off a little bit more, do you have any general thoughts or, or feelings about this episode? 
I do. I I like this episode. I think this was probably the strongest episode uh, this half season. Interesting. I'm hoping you agree. Well, not really. <laughs> well, that sucks. I don't. I, I don't think this was a terrible episode. I just don't think it was particularly good. Uh, especially after last week, which I thought was the best episode of this half season so far. Well, this this was a relief after last week. Well, this was this was like, oh, finally, finally, we get some actual character development and uh, internal consistency. I mean, sure, there were. Uh, I've got like, I have six nitpicks to go through <laughs> Ooh, in chronological order, but they're not really detracting from the overall enjoyment of this episode hmm. for me. Well. I didn't think really a lot progressed in this episode. I didn't really feel the character development. Uh, I'm not going to say nothing happened, but, I mean, was there much plot here? I, I'm i not so sure there was. Well, do you want to get into it now, or do you want to play that call first? Well, why don't we, we play the call, and we'll, we'll step through things here and, and see where we end up. So this call comes from Eric. Hey, Chris, Jason, and fellow podcast listeners. Wanted to leave some feedback for Season 5, Episode 4, Skid Mark. Starting with what I liked, the opening I thought was great. It was really cool to see a day in the life of Daniel Salazar and his new best friend, Skid Mark the Cat, rolling around in the apocalypse, listening to the blues. Uh, there were a few shots at the end of the opening after Daniel and Skid Mark are eating dinner uh where we get some stills looking around the warehouse at all the cars and other supplies that are stockpiled there uh it really reminded me of uh panels in a comic book so that was kind of cool okay so eric there's more to his call which i'm actually going to play later on in the episode but i wanted to start there um, with the opening, with the cold open, and as he called it, a day in the life of Daniel Salazar. And, you know, here's something I agree with. I agree with Eric in that this was sort of low-key, but also um, decent and, and interesting enough. You know, it was, it was him going about his life, um, disarming these traps, which I must admit yeah. I don't really understand what's going on there. But I do agree that it was nice to see him just kind of doing his thing, you know, cooking some food by himself, sitting in the warehouse. And there were some um, really um, evocative shots of the sort of loneliness of the warehouse and just still shots of nothing happening, but all the stuff stockpiled there. And I didn't think about it at the time, but I think Eric's right. It does kind of bring up the feeling of comic panels, uh, just sort of establishing shots almost of, of what he's of what his life is like there. Yeah. It was nice to see, like he uses a cat for distraction. He puts a bell on the cat, which is normally where you put a bell on the cat in order to prevent it from eating wildlife. Right. Right. To warn the birds essentially so that the cat can't successfully sneak up on them. Uh, so he put, he puts the bell on the cat in order to use the cat as a distraction for, for zombies, which is kind of fun. We haven't seen that before. And then he goes up to uh, a storefront which we've seen plenty of times before, and opens up the door. But in this case, he opens up the door and there's automatic gunfire mm -hmm. coming out of the door, which he just kind of shies away from instead of, uh, it's like, well, I had to do a double take. What the hell? So I didn't quite understand that at first, 
But yeah, he's disarming traps. And we learn later that it's the, the person he inherited the warehouse from had set up all these traps to kill people, mm-hmm. not to kill zombies, but to trap people, survivors going to look for, uh, supplies in order to get whatever supplies these people already had. So it's kind of an evil thing to do. So I'm not sure how Daniel inherited this warehouse, but his, you know, what he's doing now is going around and disarming these things so that they don't hurt people anymore. Uh, But in doing so, he finds that the traps have been sprung a number of times and he's collecting all the stuff that, uh, that had been there, but he doesn't need it. It's kind of, uh, he's collecting it anyway, but he, he absolutely doesn't need all this stuff. Like he said, he's, he's going around, uh, collecting all this stuff and just putting it on shelves. Yeah. What's the point of that? Well, and the the traps, I mean, I, I, I sort of get them now, but that's all we know, right? That we don't know who this person was that, that had the warehouse before him. We just know that they, it was their traps, whoever they are. And now he's dismantling them so as not to hurt people, but still stockpiling all the stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wanted to know more about that. And I, I, I think we will. I guess we probably will find it out. Yeah. But I mean, Daniel's off at the end of the episode. He's off to do something, uh, that he needed to do. Yeah, right? that's so right. He, he, he's off to accomplish a something, but I think we're going to see more of Daniel and we're going to find out what that something is. And I think it'll probably relate to who he inherited this warehouse from. Yeah, I guess you're probably right. He, and it, it ties into this cigar that he uh, takes back from Sarah at the end of the episode too. But before we get to that, I, I just felt like um, this was a pretty good setup of him living there and just being unbelievably self-sufficient. Like he has more, he almost has more stuff than, than one person could ever even consume. It seems like, you know, he's got a, an yeah. entire warehouse of things. Um, but sort of, you know, even though he's so well stocked, I felt like they did a good job of implying kind of how monotonous and maybe not meaningless, but just sort of lonely his, his life there is, you know, just one calendar day at a time, lights it on fire, cooks some soup, eats it with a cat. And, uh, thank God he has the cat. Otherwise he'd be really lonely and by himself. Yeah. The most well-trained cat ever. Like, oh my God. <laughs> you are true. I, I don't mean, know if anybody else out there has, uh, had cats, but, uh, being able to, uh, train a cat to this degree is a, uh, an astonishing feat. <laughs> it, uh, it really is actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> James in Blind River writes, I learned that in this version of earth, cats can follow basic commands just like dog. It goes where you want it to go, returns on command, even jumping back into a vehicle when told to. Felis Catus Sapiens. Now, I think is that a uh, Red Dwarf reference? Because cat on Red Dwarf is a Felis oh, yeah. Sapien, right? Yes. I, I don't know if the uh, it's an actual Red Dwarf reference uh, because I'm not familiar with... Well, I know Red Dwarf and I know the cat. It's an evolved cat. Uh, but I don't know what the Latin term for that cat is. I, I do believe it's Felis sapien. So, uh, I think, uh, James might've been making a reference there. Anyways, he goes on. It's an awesome show. Everybody should watch it. Great show. Great show. Did you watch the new Red Dwarf that came out a couple of years ago? I have them all, but I haven't seen them all. Okay. I'm, it's, it's a little bit daunting. There's like 12 seasons now. I know, sure there's only six episodes a season kind of thing, but 
I'm thinking I got to start over, right? You, you got to start over. Start from the it's beginning. Red, it's Red Dwarf. I mean, and how could you, it how will, could you not? It, it so, will be worth it. Come on. So I just got to find the time. All right. Well, James goes on after saying that, you know, cats can do all these things. And he says, are you kidding me? Owning a cat in the zombie apocalypse would be a deadly liability. A feline would likely begin caterwauling loudly at the most inopportune time if you are trying to hide from the dead. No amount of shushing would shut it up either. So you know what fate awaits you? I own two cats, and I can guarantee you these little Judases would get you killed if you found yourself transported with them to Fear's universe. The only name they respond to is the sound of a tin of cat food opening. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, uh, I have a cat, Rosie, that this morning at 6 a.m., she decided that it was breakfast time. Uh-huh. So she came into our room and she just went, meow, 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 for like 45 minutes. And there's nothing you could do to shut her up other than, you know, listening to what she's demanding of you uh-huh. and go and do it. And it's just so annoying. She's like, just <laughs> 10 minutes. Ten minutes, shut up, shut up, shut up. But there's no way you can convince a cat to do anything you want it to do. No way. You can only convince it to do something that they already want to do. Right. Like eat food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've owned cats in my life, and uh, I know exactly what you mean. But Skidmark, boy, Skidmark, well-trained cat. Yeah, and the, uh, there's a couple of things around Skidmark, uh, around my nitpicks, but I'm going to save all my nitpicks for one fell swoop. Here. One one giant nitpick uh, picnic? Nit picnic? Nick, nitpick picnic. Wow. That's right. All right. Pick a nits picnic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, um, let's, uh, let's, let's go back. So, so I enjoyed the opening, as, as Eric brought up. But what something that occurred to me near the beginning of this episode, which really bothered me at first, uh, but I've I've sort of come to terms with, is that last week we had John, June, and Dwight's introduction on this show. Yeah. Uh, and this week they are nowhere to be found. Just gone, basically. And why the reason it bothered me is because at the end of last week's episode, Morgan and Alicia, and all of them were standing there in one place together on the road, and we had the Morgan Dwight reuniting scene. Yeah. Uh, and now they're just disappeared. And, our, you know, Alicia and Dwight, i sorry, Alicia and Morgan are out doing something, uh, and Luciana and the kid are back at the, uh, the truck stop, and yep. John, June, and Dwight are nowhere to be found. Now, I know that Morgan said that they're out searching for Sherry. And I yes. do agree that that makes a certain amount of sense, but it didn't feel right to me having them all be in one place in the last scene of last week's episode and then not appear in this episode at all. It felt like a big disconnect. And honestly, at first I was like, good God, they're making this show just by shooting a bunch of bunch of scenes and cutting them together in some semi-coherent way. As if these two episodes could have aired in the opposite order and it wouldn't have made any difference. That bugged me Well, they first. couldn't have because they wouldn't, uh, yeah, they, it, it, it was close. It's close to being able to show them in the opposite order, but not really. But yeah, I agree with you that uh, having them reunited at the end of the last episode and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, John June and Dory, uh, John June and Dwight are gone uh, and explained away, but uh, I didn't find it particularly jarring. I'm well, not really sure why I didn't really think about it. 
was like, they're gone again? Why are they gone again? And then my brain forgot about it. No, see, I, it occurred to me before the Morgan had the line about Sherry, and it really bothered me at that point. I'm like, they're just not here? Like, where the hell are they? What's, what's going on? Yeah. And then he mentions they're out looking for Sherry, but they're out of radio contact. So fine. You know, for once, somebody can't contact somebody else on a walkie-talkie on this show. Uh, and it bothered me less. I just didn't like the fact that they weren't in it. Um, or, and, and maybe it would have worked better for me if they had been at the truck stop and then there was some scene about them going off and leaving. Like we see them leave. I I don't know what would have fixed yeah. it, but I didn't like the fact that they weren't there. It just felt wrong. And, uh, okay. you know, that, that bothered me at first, but like I said, I've kind of come to terms with it because it is at least a reasonable explanation that they provided. Now, um, a listener last week sent in a voice message about Dwight's memory. And we talked about how they're sort of in a way wiping it clean and, and rebooting Dwight. <laughs> yeah. Um, he sent that listener, Eric sent more details this week about his thoughts on that, but I'm going to hold on to those for a later episode. Uh, maybe one that actually has Dwight in it to talk oh, about. Okay. So yep. we'll, we'll get to that later on. And it also give us a chance to see where Dwight goes on this season of fear before we judge it too harshly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so good idea, I figure. You don't want to judge your chickens before they hatch, right? No, no, you definitely don't. Judge them after they hatch. Yeah. You know, if you're going to say, you say your chicken's an asshole, wait till it hatches first. You don't have to say that egg is going to be an asshole chicken before the egg hatches. Right. You don't know. And that's know. the way that works. You don't, you don't know. know. You don't know how, which of your chickens are going to be assholes and which ones are going to be fine. It's true. But you know you're going to eat all of them. Well, it depends. <laughs> Some true. chickens you need to leave to make eggs for more chickens, you know? You can't eat all the chickens. That's a good you point. eat all the chickens. You don't have any chickens left. That's a good point. Very good point. Only eat the assholes. <laughs> Wait, that sounds weird. It sounded better in my head before I said it. <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty good in my head. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Cindy in Columbus, Ohio, sent us in an email. And one thing she asked us to do, Jason, is wish her husband, Mike, a happy 74th birthday, which is coming up on June 30th. And so why not, man? I'm happy to do it. Happy birthday, happy 74th, Mike. Happy 74th birthday, Mike. Yeah, that's fantastic. And thank you, Cindy and Mike, for listening. It's great to have you on. Hope you enjoy your birthday weekend, which is over mm. Canada Day weekend, not to take away from it. Hooray! <laughs> uh, but Cindy writes, I don't understand the deal with Daniel. Why do they only have him on occasionally? I love the character, but not sure if he's moving the plot along at all when he shows up. Also, if they can do this with Daniel, then they can most definitely bring back Madison. Well, of course they can. They're going to. They have to. They will. They yeah. Won't, but they will. <laughs> they won't, but they might. <laughs> but they might. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Daniel's been killed a couple of times on the show, and here he is. Seemingly no worse for wear, except a little pissed off. Not not dying this time. He didn't. He survived the episode. That's awesome. He did. He did. Uh, for the second time. Yeah. Uh, so Madison, you know, the way things are going, I am actually starting to believe that she could return to the show someday, which if you'd asked me this a year ago or right after she was supposedly killed off, I would have said no friggin' way, and I think I did, in fact, say that. But here we are in, you know, June of 2019, halfway through the first half of season five, and I think Madison could come back almost at any time. Yeah. 
I've, I've always believed that. I don't believe she's dead. Uh, yeah, I know. And that's, that's kind of a problem. I mean. For who? I, I mean, you know. It, Wait, what's a problem? Madison not being shown to be dead or the fact that I believe that she's not dead? I think the problem is that they have been ambiguous about it. Oh, yeah, that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Pain in the ass. If, you, if somebody dies, show them dead. Uh, yeah, show them dead. Exactly. Or don't fuck with us. Just, you know, if they're showing them dying, they're dead. Plain and you simple. You know, this show's fucked with us too much. And we can't believe anything that they show us unless they show us a dead body or a zombie. If they're a zombie, we can pretty much guarantee they're dead, right? They're dead. Like Shane's dead. He's dead. 100%. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of people are dead. But Cindy's email brings up a, something I want to talk about in relation to this episode. She says that she loves the character of Daniel, but not sure if he's moving the plot along at all when he shows up. And I sort of feel that way about this episode in general. I don't know that it moved the plot along at all. It did reveal a couple of things, um, but but all the Daniel stuff was just about giving us an idea of what his life is like. And even though I found that interesting, I don't know that it really pushed the show forward in any meaningful way. It pushed two characters forward. Daniel and Strand uh, both had significant character development in this episode, and that was the was the point in this episode. I mean, what are you considering the plot? Uh, you know, character development, I guess, is not necessarily plot, but it's part of it. It's important. Right? You're right. You know, Daniel had a very uh, big change of heart, right? Where he didn't help Strand, and then uh, Charlie convinced him, like, look, you want to help people? Somebody came to you for help, you dumbass, and you didn't help them. And he changed his mind. He's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't help this person and I should help them. And Strand also had a significant character development. He had to come to terms with the fact that he lied to Daniel about his daughter in order to achieve something. And then he did something that cost him uh, his goal in order to help Daniel. So they both had significant character development in this episode, which is one of the things I, you know, one of the things I liked about this is that uh, it wasn't necessarily plot, you know, I'm not sure how, how to define plot if character development isn't part of it, but uh, we had some significant milestones in characters in this episode. Well, I mean, character development is certainly part of the plot. I mean, that's that's what you watch these shows for in in a way. I mean, obviously, the awesome zombie killing is is there, the excitement you want to watch it for, the action, things like that. But without good characters, there's none of the other stuff makes any sense, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, yeah, without characters, who, who, who wears the hats? Nobody wears any hats without characters. No, you have to have characters and therefore heads to wear hats. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you I just have a bunch of hats lying on the floor. I, I can see what you mean. Um, but it felt plodding to me a little bit. It, it, it wasn't, it, and I don't mean to say it wasn't exciting, but it kind of just sort of flopped out on the table in front of me as an episode and lay there. And I don't feel like it really captured my excitement or imagination watching this kind of stuff. Um, at the end of the day, Strand and Daniel are now buddies again, maybe tentatively buddies, and Daniel's off going to do something that we don't understand. So I'm not so sure. I, yeah. I, I'm not well, feeling the character of Strand anymore that much, which may be part of it, but it kind of didn't do it for me. 
it kind of brought Strand and Daniel around for me from last episode or the last time we saw them. Uh, I, you know, I didn't see the point of that altogether, but this, this episode, it kind of brought me around and, you know, I'm back on board with Strand and, uh, and Daniel specifically. Yeah. The other thing about it that I, I think, you know, plays a part in not sort of capturing me is that I felt like there was a lot of sort of contrivances and tropes in this, in this episode, the whole scene near the beginning where Charlie sneaks in to, uh, you know, find the plane. Um, and then we find out that Daniel's taken the instruments out of the plane so that he, so that they couldn't steal it. It, it all felt so convenient. I mean. Why, have you seen that before? Where have you seen that before? No, it, it felt, I'm not saying I've seen it before, but I'm saying it made, on one hand, it made Daniel look just too, too smart. Like he was two steps ahead of Strand at every, every moment. I just don't, I don't. Somebody wants to steal your shit. What do you do? You fuck up with their, you fuck their plans. Like how do I screw the plans of somebody taking, taking an airplane? Well, I'll take the wheels off for one and put it on the back of a truck. That's really got to screw things up. And the second thing is to, uh, you take the instruments or you take the gas pedal. Do planes have gas pedals? No, they don't have gas pedals. They have throttles. Throttles. And then they have uh, the pedals control direction. I just don't buy it. Like, are we supposed- If you don't want somebody to steal your car, you take all the spark plugs, right? That's what you do. What do you mean you that's take- what you do? I lock the door is what I do if I don't want someone no, to steal I mean, my if car. No, I mean, if you really want someone to not take your car, we've seen that trope before, right? You go in to start your car, you can't start the car, you open up the thing and all the spark plug, start spark plug, the, the whatever that octopus cable thing that hooks your engine up to the spark plugs are, <laughs> are all gone. Right? I don't know. I, I just wasn't so sure that Daniel would would know this strongly that Strand was going to come back in the middle of the night and try to steal the plane, and therefore he disables the plane. Of it, course he is. It didn't feel, it didn't feel realistic to me. Uh, it, it felt like Daniel was one step ahead of Strand for no reason. I mean, he threatened to blow his face off if he ever came back there. Uh, yeah. And you know, big locked walls and gates. It, I don't know. I, I just don't think a normal person would, would behave that way. Disabling a plane like that. I would. It's something I would do. That seemed perfectly plausible to me because that's, you know, if I didn't want someone to screw with my shit and I knew that they would come back, I'd screw with my shit before they could screw with it. Well, I don't know. And then... I guess we're supposed to believe that Daniel knew that Charlie was hiding in the car because Skidmark uh, meowed and, and indicated that to him. I, I don't know, but that one, that one seems a little, little out of left field. Like that's another trope. It's like, again, he's one step ahead of everybody. He, he comes out yeah. at night, uh, gets in the car and drives away with the instruments from the plane. And then Daniel already knows that Charlie's hiding in the car back there. Yeah, that was a, okay. So when I first saw Charlie get in the car and then Daniel opened the door to the back of the car and seeing her under a tarp or a blanket or something, I'm like, come on, you obviously know that there's somebody in the back of your car because of two reasons. One, I didn't put that blanket there. Like if somebody goes, somebody's hiding in the back of my car and I open up the back of the car, I know where everything was before I opened up the back of the car. Because I put the shit there. Mm-hmm. If there all of a sudden there's a blanket covering something that is human shaped and quivering a little bit, I'm going to think, <laughs> you know what? There's probably a person under there. Uh huh. You know, it's going to occur to me. 
but then again, I was thinking if Daniel did see the blanket with possibly a human being lying under there, would you really start stacking firearms right next to that person that and, they could get access to? And then get in and just drive away knowing yeah. that someone's hiding there? Like, no, So you don't. I'm kind of on your side. First of all, it, I believe that Daniel knew that somebody was back there because it's ridiculous that he wouldn't know. But would he take the next steps, placing the firearms there, getting in the car with their back to the person hiding under a blanket and some guns and driving away? And then not bringing it up until you're on a radio call that you didn't know was coming. Right. I mean, well, no, you did. He did know it was coming because. Well, he may, he suspected that it probably was, but he didn't know when, and he didn't uh, decide that he would not mention to the girl on the back of his seat that he knew she was there uh, until uh, a convenient phone call came. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He left a note on the plane that says he took the instruments off channel eight. Yeah. So radio me when you come and try to steal this. Yes. So he knew the well, call. I knew was that. Coming. So he suspected that uh, that uh, uh, Strand was going to contact him, right? Mm-hmm. But he didn't know that it was going to be in the car at that time. No, but he probably could safely assume that if there's somebody in the back of this car, it's likely related to Strand. So he's going to call now. But you're right. He he didn't know that for okay. sure. Or or if he did, I have no idea how. Um. And, and Daniel's never met Charlie before, right? So no. there's no, he had no previous expectation of who might be hiding in that car. You know, it's yeah. one thing if it's, if it's a grown adult and it's another thing if it's a child, right? I mean, you might behave yeah. differently knowing that, but he didn't know. And he decided to get in the car and drive away anyways, as if he yeah. did. And that's, okay, so and that's a, get sorry, that's a, car a and... trope that I don't like, like someone right. hiding in the car and someone gets in knowing or not knowing that they're there and behaves normally. It's, yeah, it's, it's also the zombie apocalypse and a lawless time. And I don't think I'd get into a car with someone human shaped underneath a blanket that may or may not have a nine millimeter pistol pointed at the back of my head the whole fucking time I'm driving. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, his actions are suspect, but him knowing that someone's back there is not. Okay, that's fair. Knowing that she was there is fine. Behaving the way he did is not. Again, I think that relates into what we know about Daniel and what we were sort of in- told about Daniel at the beginning of this episode, being very resourceful and, and uh, you know, just knowing how to survive. Um, yeah. He didn't have Except- enough information here. <laughs> okay, that's all. I'm going to save it. All right. It's a nitpick. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got another... Another scene I consider kind of a trope that bothered me later on, on the highway, when Wendell and Sarah show up and they skid the big truck sideways, open the guns and then pull the trigger. And of course, nothing happens. Of course, nothing happens. Like, well, not of course. Did anyone? I didn't know nothing was going to happen. We've every time we've seen that happen, something happened. Yeah, but it's a trope that. Whenever you really need something to happen, it doesn't happen. It's the Millennium Falcon moment. Punch it, Chewie, and the hyperdrive engines don't work, right? Yeah, they did that in Star Trek too. Of course. The Star Trek The Next Generation. I, I would have preferred they just plowed straight through the zombies. That truck's big enough. Like, why not just run them over? It would have been less likely to fail is the problem. Uh, I kind of, okay, tropey or not, I kind of liked it because, well, 
you know, and it was nice that the, that they set it up at the beginning, right? Wendell really wanted to, uh, to pull the trigger on this shit. Uh, he wanted to put the hammer down as they said. But I so thought at that, the beginning, I thought putting the hammer down meant driving through the, the fence. No, he wanted to, he wanted to, he had his hand on the thing. Okay. And he, fine. He, he said he wanted to put the hammer down. So he wanted to use the, uh, you know, the truck modifications to blow shit up or, you know, mow down a bunch of zombies. So now he gets his chance and he pulls right up and they do this big skid thing. And it's like, yeah, here we go. Nothing. Yeah. So trope or not, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But it's even worse because they foreshadowed it earlier. I don't know if that makes it worse or better, actually. They foreshadowed. Well, it didn't come out of nowhere, right? They set it up. That's one of the things I liked about this episode is that everything that, that, that happened, they set up. It wasn't that, uh, just that days X crap that we've seen in, uh, both versions of the walking dead TV show where just shit comes out of nowhere. Everything that happened in this episode was set up at the beginning. Like it just, it made logical sense. Okay. And I'm going to, you know, uh, the examples of that are, uh, uh, putting the hammer down for one and it not working is, you know, they set up that, uh, that Wendell really wanted to do that. The next thing is, uh, the fence being down, like they're drawing, drawing all this, this small herd of zombies back to where they can, they can deal with them. But because they're trying to get this plane out of there so they can use it, they cut down a whole, like 35 feet of fence. So that doesn't work. Right. So that kind of makes sense. And, uh, uh. The, the mowing down of the zombies with the, the plane engines, they kind of set that up too, right? If it was just a plane on wheels, they couldn't have done this probably. But since right. it wasn't a plane on wheels, it was plane, a plane on a truck. Yeah. They could, uh, they could do this. And it even went so far as to break the plane. I was like, if the plane fucking works after this, I'm going to be pissed because bird strikes take down engines. Sure. Right? Zombie strikes also take down engines. So. And they did. They, it just, it they lasted did. exactly as long as it needed, though. And that was kind of convenient. I'll give you that. Yeah, it was. So my thoughts on the propeller scene, as I'm calling it, is that it was a little bit dumb. Uh, no, I thought it was fun. Uh, it would work. I think it would be a perfect, like, loud noise uh-huh. attracting zombies into uh, a whirling blade of death. I... I I agree with that 100%, and I enjoyed watching it, but I couldn't shake the feeling that they're stretching for unique ways to kill zombies. And, like, let's put a propeller plane on a truck and have them walk into the propellers going full blast. Uh, I think that's a viable way of, uh, you know, taking down zombies. If you have a, a, a propeller plane, you take the engine off, you put it on the front of a truck, and away you go. I, I have a dumb question. I mean, yeah. would the brakes on the truck be enough to counteract the forward momentum created by the propellers? Why wasn't the truck moving forward when the propellers were think, on? Um, this might be a good question for your brother-in-law, but I would think that uh, it's a flatbed truck and those brakes are pretty fucking significant, right? Like you have not only the brakes of the trailer, but the brakes of the truck. And there's like 18 wheels as compared to whatever the three wheels that this, uh, this plane would normally have. And so I don't know that the engines of a plane are enough to move an 18 wheeler flatbed transport. Okay. Would it be enough? Would whatever is restraining the plane on the back of that transport hold if the, the propellers were going strong enough? Would the plane Absolutely. just fly itself into the back of the cab? 
No. I, I, I absolutely believe that they would hold it because those straps, you know, remember you drive down, you're driving down the highway and you see the flatbed trailer with those big spools of steel yeah. that are strapped down. Yeah. Those things weigh more than the truck itself. Huh. Right. And, uh, those things, when they come off, they kill lots of people because they just roll and flatten cars. Oof. They weigh a lot and the straps can hold those suckers down without them falling off. So absolutely. The plane is meant to be light, right? They, you know, you have the engines as powerful as you can and the plane as light as possible so that the damn thing can fly. Mm-hmm. You have an 18 wheeler, which is not meant to fly. So it can weigh a hell of a lot. It weighs a hell of a lot more than that plane. And I think that those spools of steel that they transport around are a hell of a lot heavier than a plane. So I don't have any problem believing, uh, that that plane was stuck on that trailer. No problem. All and right. That the the thing didn't move. You've convinced me. Uh, but I did think it was, as a term you've used a lot of times, author intrusion a little bit, where they're like, I know, guys, we got this really cool way to kill a bunch of zombies, and we're going to write it into the show no matter what. <laughs> uh, right. And, and, I, can, I can see that as a, as a fair point. I, but? I had briefly considered that, but I kind of went with it because I think that it's actually within the realm of reality. Okay. If a, if a plane is strapped to this thing and the, uh, uh, strapped to the back of a transport and the engines are working and you turn them on and somebody walks into the engine, they're going to get fucking killed pretty goddamn quick. Oh yeah. And those zombies did, that's for sure. Yeah. It's not like it was, uh, you know, uh, two chainsaws on the handlebars of a motorcycle mowing down zombies. It wasn't that. I mean, come on, man. I'd love to see that too. <laughs> well, that was in that, uh, that game Zombie Mall. What was it called? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, Dead Rising. Dead Rising. Yeah. You yeah. could do that in Dead Rising. Yeah. Fun times. Uh, well, and to be fair, to be fair, you know, last week I was completely on board with the San Antonio split. So if I can't get on board with propellers on an airplane killing zombies, then I, I don't think... I would be in the right, so. Okay, so think of it this way. If you did have this situation, if you had a plane, an actual two-engine plane strapped to the back of a transport or, you know, an 18-wheeler on the flatbed, and you turned on the engines, the chances of zombies getting killed by those two engines spinning are pretty high. Pretty good. I think the probability is good. The probability of splitting a bullet and killing two zombies doing the San Antonio split uh, or whatever it's called, uh, that is not in the realm of possibility. Or the possibility exists, however, the probability does not. <laughs> right. In exactly. that situation. Well, and, you know, I, I didn't put it in here, but we did get an email from a listener about uh, the trick shot. Let's see if I can find it real quick here. Um, no, I don't know where it is. Sorry, listener. Uh, but he, he said that the San Antonio split has been a real like cowboy trick shot for years. And there are people that can pull it off. And John Dory is clearly one of those people. Okay. Under controlled conditions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yes, you have, you have the uh, perfectly sharp ax uh, stationary mounted. Uh, and then you have uh, someone pointing at the blade and splitting the bullet, having it shakily head up by somebody that is, uh, has a zombie on top of you, dead or alive, you know, uh, holding it up and shaking and splitting that bullet so perfectly that it kills two zombies 
uh, in the perfect position at the exact right time based on a perfect shot is not really a trick shot. It's a, it's a crazy magic thing. I think well, that, uh, the man in black could probably do it. Okay. I think uh, that Roland could probably do it from the dark tower because he has, uh, his big irons made from the blades of, uh, made from Excalibur. Okay. Well, that. just, just for proper credit, I found it. This is Grady in Texas and Grady writes, the shot that bothered Jason so badly has been a famous trick shot for a hundred plus years. He's a trick shot cowboy, John Dory. So it makes sense that he can complete that shot. Uh, but I understand your point about, about controlled conditions. I just think, uh, you know, some characters are lucky and John Dory has the luck behind him. Just like Han well, Solo he does. does resemble, uh, uh, Roland from the Dark Tower series. He's got kind of that gunslinger, uh, vibe. Yeah. And yes, trick shots are a part of, uh, history, like throwing a playing card in the air and then shooting it and cutting it in half. Uh, that's a real thing too, mm-hmm. but <laughs> doing it under stress sure. and doing it as a trick shot as part of a show and having, uh, you know, it's also the kind of thing where, uh, you try it and if it doesn't work, try it again. And you try it a couple of times until it works and everybody goes, whoa, that's amazing. Amazing. Right? Doing it under this kind of, uh, uh, life or death stress with, uh, uh, not ideal conditions are, uh, it's just crazy. All right. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Let's move on. Uh, another scene that didn't really work for me in this episode is the part where Daniel and Charlie arrive at their destination at one of the traps that he is going to disarm. And uh, Daniel is there. He's been doing this for a long time. He's very capable. He knows exactly what he's doing, but he gets there and decides all of a sudden that he has no idea what he's doing. And it takes Charlie, the kid standing there to explain how to get into the shop protected by the gun, how to do it. She plans it all out. And I'm like, this is your classic scene of a, of a child being smarter than an experienced adult. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that kids can't be smart and resourceful, but I feel like in this case, it undermines Daniel's character a little bit from what they're trying to tell us about him, that all of a sudden he's useless in this situation. Well, I mean, his, his bag of tricks are set off the trap until it runs out of bullets. Yeah. Right. So that's, that was, that's his experience so far. This one had a, uh, a machine gun, a belt fed machine gun with a, a huge can full of ammo, right? This was not going to be the simple thing of, you know, just setting off the trap while it fires uh, you know, a magazine full of ammo, 30 shots. It's like 300 shots before, uh, of like fully automatic, uh, machine gun fire, not just, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, the, the assault rifle thing that he, he'd gotten past last time. This one's like bigger gun, mm-hmm. more zombies, trickier situation. This one's, uh, just, it's out of his realm of experience. Yeah. And he doesn't have a lot of experience in, uh, doing this kind of thing without, uh, disarming traps, like going into stores and, and, uh, getting supplies. He doesn't have that experience. That's what Charlie has. Well, so I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a problem. It, it, it bothered me a little bit that she seemed to just all 
um, automatically know exactly what to do. But I do understand, you know, from a character perspective, this is the scene that allowed the two of them to bond really well, right? Because he realized that she is smart and resourceful and is someone that he shouldn't discount immediately and, and someone yeah. that, that, that he should help. And I suppose that is partly what makes him come around on Strand a little bit too, thinking if Strand has associated himself with this person, maybe he's not all so bad. So there was a purpose to it. It's just, I kind of wish they had, they had somehow showed us Charlie doing something smart and resourceful instead of having her just stand there and spit it all out of her mouth. Right. Show, don't tell. Exactly. And that, again, has been a problem with this show for a little bit, for a while. And to be fair, a problem with most TV shows at times. You know, it's just, it's sometimes the easiest way to get information across, have a character yeah. say it. Well, <laughs> you know? uh, this, I've talked about this before. There's a show on, uh, on TV called Elementary with, uh, damn it, I forget his name. Uh, it's basically a kind of a take on, on Sherlock Holmes with, um, oh, what the heck's her name? Darn it. Anyway, I forget everybody's name, but, uh, the, Lucy Lou. the show, Lucy Lou. Yeah. And, uh, the show is great. I really like it. It's, uh, it's, it's a, a very entertaining show, but they never show anything. Nah. All it is, is Sherlock showing up after a little while explaining what he did, why he did it. And then they talk about what's going to happen next. And then they jump ahead whenever that's done. Huh. They talk about what they just did and what they're going to do. They never show anything. It's all just talking. Like even like the, the takedown of the bad guy is described in uh dialogue well, later. That's, that's Sherlock Holmes for you, right? I, I, he It I, is. may have invented that, the, the tell don't show. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a whole show based on uh tell don't show and it's a great show. And okay. it's, uh, I really enjoy it. And I, I, I watch it, uh, I buy it on iTunes every year that it comes out. Cool. Speaking of which, I bought it, but I haven't watched the most recent season, so don't spoil it for me, Chris. Okay, I'll try not to. <laughs> right. uh, some people on our Facebook page were having a bit of a debate about the kids uh, in this yeah. episode, and Robin writes, um, you know, regarding whether kids would survive on their own, Robin writes, I've taught a lot of young people about that age, and they're so much cooler, smarter, savvier, fiercer, ingenious, resourceful, and just generally have their shit together much, much more than they let most adults see. So, so why not give them guns? <laughs> well, why not accept the fact that maybe kids know some stuff and that's okay? Yeah, they because they're not uh, they're not set in our ways like the old fogies that we are. It's like, no, nah, you can't do that. My experience tells me that you cannot do that. Whereas kids were like. Kids would probably do it because their experience doesn't tell them they can't do it. So they just do it and then it gets done. Yeah. And we all go, that's impossible. The, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm old. I've decided. <laughs> I decided years ago. I'm, I'm the decider. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Let's play another call here. This is more from Eric, who we heard near the beginning of the podcast. Uh, here we go. What I thought was silly. Really everything having to do with Morgan, Alicia, Luciana, and the kids. Um, especially where they come up and save uh, Max and Annie uh, from those zombies at the end. And it really cemented for me Jason's view that if the camera doesn't show it, the characters don't see it. Because right afterwards, 
coming from right behind Annie and Max in the same direction Morgan and Alicia should be looking comes an army of dirty, ragged kids, and it just felt ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, if the yeah. camera doesn't show it, the characters can't see it. Yeah, but I can live with that. I've accepted that. Right. No, I know you uh, have, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those kids came out of nowhere. <laughs> and it, they had the most... Uh, it was also even... the most annoying thing of the episode for me was the uh, the trope annoying trope of anytime you take a, a firearm and move it in any way, shape, or form, it makes a cocking sound. I didn't notice, but that is definitely oh, a thing. Me nuts. <laughs> and everything did, did that, right? Every time they moved it, it was... And they don't make that much noise. They really don't. Okay. Well, I don't know. So speaking of these kids, uh, Troy from Facebook wrote, I'm still confused on who's tying up the walkers. Is it the kids or is it the helicopter people? But I believe this episode cemented or was intended to cement that it is the kids who've been tying yeah, the kids. those zombies up. Yeah, because kids love to tie things up with intestines. If I know anything about, uh, you know, tweens, it's that they love taking intestines out of things and tying up other things with it. Well, sure. I mean, I know my kids do that. Uh, yeah. I, I still don't totally believe that these kids would have the ability to do that and, and like live through it. Uh, but that's what the show is telling us that it's the kids. We also found out this episode that that group of kids that Max and Annie and Dylan are part of is bigger and they are the children of all the people from the camp that we saw a couple episodes ago where all the adults were infected and locked in the whatever it was, one of the barns, camp buildings. Right. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't really buy it that the kids are doing it, but apparently they are, and uh, that's that. So that brings us to the end of the episode where we see a helicopter, and we see that armored person down the road who we now know is Isabel, but... Of course, the helicopter has the same markings as the maps that Al was reading and the same marking that the helicopter that took Rick away has. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry if that's a spoiler. I don't, I assume that nobody who watches Fear the Walking Dead does not watch Walking Dead, but there might be somebody out there. <laughs> uh, but if you don't, then you probably don't know what is going on anyways. Um, so, interesting. And I'm starting to feel like the entire reason for Fear the Walking Dead's existence this season is to tie back into the main show and whatever is going on with these, like, half Olympic ring people. Uh, well, three-fifths, but yeah. Half three-fifths, close enough. <laughs> but, like, I, I feel like that might be the whole point, that we well, are... I don't know if it's the whole point, but I think it's going to happen. Oh, it's definitely going to happen. This is going to tie into not only the main show, but the Rick Grimes movies that are coming. Um, I mean, what's the point of a television show, right? The, the point of the television show is to entertain, right? So this episode for me was entertaining. So it's, it's, it's the point. I mean, the, the, I don't think it's the whole point of this, this season. I just, I think that it is part of this season. I'm not sure if I'm. Uh, as cynical as to think that it's the point of it. No, Sorry. I'm. I'm I don't mean to call you cynical. Uh, it's fine. I'm. I'm being cynical because I think that really they are. They're. 
they're tightening the Walking Dead universe, right? They are bringing the shows closer together. They're introducing something that is spanning both shows and theoretically will, you know, impact this third show that they're working on now, uh, which we don't have any information on really, but presumably it might factor into that as well. And I don't think... Wasn't the third show about uh, young girls? Coming of age, remember? Yeah. Yeah, now we have a bunch of kids with guns. You think that's... uh part of it? No, I don't think that's part of it. I just mean, I think the three-fifths Olympic people, we need a name for this group, Jason. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but we need a name the for them. The Olympians? The Olympians? Uh, we'll see. The D-Olympians? Uh, yeah. Whoever they are. Um, I, where was I going? I think they'll impact all three shows, but I really think that Fear the Walking Dead is working really hard this season to incorporate this group and bring it in. And I, I do think that's kind of the point of season five, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think if they're tightening the universe a little bit, that's okay. It could make for some interesting stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, tighter show is better. I would think. Tighter is better. Yeah. That's right. So anything else else about the helicopter? The one thing I noticed that bothered me, and I know this is really stupid, but Alicia, the helicopter's hovering above them, and Alicia looks up and says, what the hell is that? And I feel like, Alicia, that's the wrong question. It's a helicopter. You're, you, what you mean is, who the hell is that? Yeah, that was, that, that did bother me. Uh, it's like, oh, duh, that's a helicopter. And I know people <laughs> just say things in the heat of the moment, right? And what she means is, like, what's going on with that helicopter? But it just, it feels like a simple change to make, you know? It's like, oh, she said what by accident? Maybe she should retake and say who. Yeah, or they didn't even say it uh, while she was, you know, mouthing the word. Uh, it was, the camera wasn't looking at her face necessarily. They were looking at the fucking helicopter. So just dub it. Uh, who? Yeah. Who's that? <laughs> exactly. Who is that? So stupid thing, but it, it's it not bothered a, me. You know, it's not, a, it's not a UFO. What the hell is that? You know, if it was a UFO... I could see her saying, what the hell is that? But it was a helicopter. Maybe she doesn't know what a helicopter is. I know people have gaps in their, uh, their knowledge base. I yeah, know I do. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, hard to find someone who doesn't know what a helicopter is. At least someone from North America. Anyhow. Um, I don't know. She's a teenager. You know, it's hard to say. <laughs> some, some teenagers have huge gaps. I know teenagers that didn't know how the mail worked. Well... I, yeah, he was like 19 and he asked, how, how do you, how does the, how do you send a letter? Well, <laughs> I have a secret for everyone that I'll tell at the end of the episode. How about that? You know how to send a letter? I do, but it's not mail related. Uh, okay. but it's a, it's gap in knowledge related. So I will, uh. Yeah, I'll, I got gaps. I'll tell you about a gap that I recently found in my, my knowledge. Anyways, anything else about the, uh, helicopter, uh, there that you're find interesting or anything like that? Yeah, why would they all be lying down in the big group, uh, hide them from the helicopter? Because Annie, I think, said, get down. Yeah, well, that wouldn't do any good. They're all oh. just, they got down where they are. They're all bunched up. They look like a bunch of lying down people instead of a bunch of standing up people. The helicopter was like 14 feet away. They could see them. Probably, yeah. But, I mean, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Well... I, I agree with that, um, but 
you know, maybe they weren't trying to hide. Maybe they were just trying to not get hit in the face with flying debris caused or dust caused by the hell the rotors of the helicopter. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't work either. No, I mean, getting down on the ground would probably make it make them more susceptible to being hit by flying debris from the downdraft of a helicopter. Anyways, whatever. I am fascinated by the helicopter and who these people are, and I. You know, it may have sounded like I was being negative on the whole purpose of the show being to introduce this new group, but I actually think it's kind of cool and I'm on board with it because I'm not really that interested in what's going on with Morgan right now and some of the other characters. So bring on something new. Who knows how it'll go? Maybe it'll be awesome. And I look forward to seeing it. So I was excited to see the helicopter and I do hope we learn more about whoever this group is. And I think we're going to since... The Isabel character is being introduced. Yeah, since it's obvious, I think it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, I, talking about this episode, I think my opinion of it has raised a little bit. I don't think it was anywhere near as good as last week, though. And it's still, I think, is falling short overall for me, as many of the episodes lately have been. But let's hear your um, nitpick picnic here. Uh, I want right. to know what else you got on the list. So a couple of things. One is uh, Skidmark is the loudest fucking cat ever. And uh, when Skidmark is, uh, when they were in the back of the store trying to get into the back of the uh, the store with the zombies, uh, that cat was making fighting sounds the whole time. And cats don't do that. They don't just walk around going. Well, they don't just do. They do sure? that when they're in heat yeah. or they're having a fight. Or they're, uh, you know, being attacked by a toddler, in my experience. The only thing I will say to that is I did used to own a cat. I've actually had a yeah. couple in my life. And the last cat I owned used to announce her presence when she came in a room. Like, she'd walk in the room and go, meow. And, like, not repeatedly. Meowing, yes. Not fighting sounds. Not, uh, uh, you know, cat, two cats in the alley at night uh, trying to... Uh, you know, either fight each other or the other thing each other. <laughs> what could that be? Okay. <laughs> Being, uh, you know, delicate for some reason. Uh, anyway, uh, loudest cat ever. Yes, I understand c- cats right. can be loud. And my cat in particular in the mornings when she decides that uh, it's time to eat or anytime that it's time to eat, she will come and yell at you. Like just full on yell at you for however long it takes for you to get off your ass and go open up a can of food. And speaking of a can of food, you never let a cat eat out of a open, freshly opened can because they will cut their tongue. So Daniel opened up a can of tuna for uh, for Skidmark and just let the cat eat out of the can. And that was just poor cat ownership. Hmm. I feel like I've done that, but maybe not. Maybe You I've, shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't because cats, they will lick the living crap out of whatever it is that you open. And, uh, you know, open cans have sharp edges. Yes, that's so, true. You should, uh, and speaking of stuff you should put food in, Daniel's got this entire warehouse full of blankets and food, cans of food and, uh, you know, guns, lots and lots of guns. Doesn't have a fucking pot to put his soup in. He has to cook it in the can. Even at the end, the second time he does it, he has to, has a big can. Like, get a pot. I, I think he's just being smart and efficient. Like why dirty a pot? And then you have to use water to clean it. Like you're wasting water at that point. Why not just cook it in the can? You shouldn't cook things in a can. I don't think it's good for you. I don't think it's, it 
you know, aluminum cans, the, uh, you shouldn't cook food in aluminum pots because the aluminum leaches into the food. I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but the, the, the living dead are walking around outside. I think you got bigger things to worry about. Yeah, but he would have a pot, right? He would. He has a bowl. He put his soup in the bowl when he was done. He didn't just eat it out of the can. It's fair now point. Now he's got to wash the bowl. Fair point. So, you know, find a pot, dude. Okay. Uh, okay. So how did Sarah know to use Channel 8 when Strand called uh, Daniel? So Daniel picked, sees the sign that says, call me on Channel 8. Uh, so he starts talking to uh, Daniel on the uh, on the radio. And all of a sudden, Sarah pipes in and he, Daniel says, who the hell are you into the radio? How did she know that it was Channel 8 that they should be speaking on? Luck, dumb luck. I don't right. think I don't think there's an answer to it. Uh, you know, one of my points here, which I had decided to skip over, <laughs> was the such heavy reliance this show has on walkie-talkies right now. Like none of what's going on the show would be possible if walkie-talkies didn't exist. It seems yeah. like the characters only communicate by radio, and it's starting to get to me a little bit. You know, um, walkie-talkies are like common you can buy them in the supermarket now sure but like they require batteries and batteries don't last forever and it just they do no Have you ever, you've gone to the battery section of the store and you see that the batteries are good till 2048 well how come batteries last in the store till 2048 but if i put a pack in my closet and i go back in a year and a half there's inevitably one leaking acid well you know, if it doesn't leak acid, it's fine. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but batteries, like store-bought batteries, not rechargeable batteries, they'll, they're will they good for 10 years. Fine. I still At think the show relies too heavily on walkie-talkies. It's like no characters have any conversations that isn't on a radio practically. Yeah. Well, they're pretty ubiquitous now. I mean, it's like cell phones. You can get radios pretty much at any store. You pick up a pack of two-way radios for, you know, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever. Sure. And they're good for like five kilometers. You know, the fact that they're, they all have to be within three or four kilometers of each other is the problem I have. Because mm-hmm. they're all CB radios and they don't, uh, you can't, uh, they don't have a great range other than, you know, unless you can uh, actually have line of sight with the other person. Yeah. They had, then they can, you can do like 10 kilometers, but uh, you know, with hills and buildings and stuff, like forget it. And if they're far enough apart that they need an airplane to get to each other, yeah, forget it. Oh yeah, there's no way. Yeah, so they're magic radios, but the fact that they're talking on radios is not that big a deal for me. Yeah, well, I just wish they talk in real life once in a while, but they're always so spread out. Uh, anyways, so yeah. more nitpicks. I got more nitpicks. more nitpicks. I'm only halfway done. So the next nitpick is uh, when they were trying to break into the store with the uh, with the zombies uh, and the big machine gun, uh-huh. with the, the belt fed gun when. The- one zombie was walking by and knocked the barrel. This thing started going off. Like it started going and then shooting through the zombie with absolutely no, uh, impact whatsoever. So, you know, bullets, if I'm standing in front of a machine gun and it fires, the bullet's not going to go through me. Well, it probably will, but I'll be knocked back a step. Mm -hmm. I might fall down. Yeah. So, uh, a zombie, Uh, when it gets shot by a belt-fed machine gun, uh, is going to notice it. <laughs> like, it's going to, like, it might not kill them, but uh, they're definitely going to be going somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Uh, other than just ignoring it. So that zombie was getting shot, like, by multiple, multiple bullets, and uh, it was it completely ignoring them. It wasn't, like, staggered at all. Okay. 
Yeah. It and the fact that, you know, knocking a barrel of a gun makes it shoot is uh, kind of weird as well. Sure. Uh, the cocking noises every time you move a gun. I did that already. Uh, oh, it just a just a minor nitpick. You know, at the beginning when Daniel took down the uh, the calendar uh, thing, the page off the calendar, and then lit the barbecue, and then put the lid on. Seems the like second not, time. not a lot of fire to light a whole barbecue. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, you know, it was wood, and he lit it with a single piece of paper, whatever, uh, like big blocks of wood. It wasn't even charcoal. It was like, anyway, uh-huh. not even that. The second time he did it. It was the exact same shot. They reused the footage from the first time. No way. Really? They absolutely did because of the way he put the grill in and it dipped into the, uh, into the thing and he had to pull it back out and put it back on. Uh, it was exactly the same shot. They uh, reused the footage from the first one. I'm going to check the tape on that because that seems cheap. Well, yeah, it did. And that's why it bothered me. And that's why it's a nitpick is that they, uh, uh, they used the same footage. Okay, I'm going to check. The worst part is it was supposed to be a different piece of paper, obviously. Yeah, it, it had a, a one day. in front of it or, yeah. I mean, it would, like the part that was burning was the, uh, the, the second part of the date with the, with the actual number, but the, the one, the part you could see was the, was the one. So it was like the 16th and then 17th or 12th or 13th or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to check that because <laughs> I didn't notice it, but, uh, that's annoying. Yeah. And the last one I had was guns, guns everywhere, but not a pot to be found. Sure. Yes. Get a pot, cook your beans in a pot or soup yeah. or whatever. All right. Well, uh. It's not hard to wash a pot. I don't know about you, but. I'm not saying it's hard, I'm... but like if water is scarce, you want to save that for drinking, not washing your dishes. Well, you don't have to use water. You use sand. <laughs> you can wash your pots with sand. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Well, I didn't really know that, but I, it sort of makes sense. It's just then you're eating sand the next time. Anyway. No, you get the sand out. You just use it as an abrasive. <laughs> With a rag. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. You can yeah. You, you don't need you don't need water. You have all the answers. Uh I've done it. I bet Go you camping. have. You wash your pot with sand sometimes. You could also uh sand is also a really good way of uh uh cleaning your guns. If you uh like I remember when I was in the in the military and we were had to clean our uh, assault rifles after, and we took the, um, the, the piston out and we had to clean it. It would get really, really gunky because the, uh, uh, the blanks that we used spewed out a lot of crap. So we get really, really dirty and you, you know, the gun cleaning oil just wasn't doing it. So you rub it with sand hmm. and it cleans it right up. It was fantastic. Can you clean your body with sand? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you know, taking a piece of sandpaper and washing yourself with it. You know, it's uncomfortable, but yeah. it'll work. Yeah. And, ex- and exfoliate. <laughs> Hurts more on some parts than others, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is good to know. And uh, there there you have it. I- I'm sorry I started this episode so negative. I still didn't love it, but um, there are things about it that after having sat here and talked about it, I'm sort of slightly changed opinion on. So, like I said before, I still think it was nowhere near as good as last week, but not terrible. And, yeah, that's... and I'm the opposite. It was much better than last week. Fair enough. And still not terrible. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to get in touch with us, everyone, you can do that by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking send voicemail at the top of the page to send us a message. You can also send your email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or on Twitter 
uh, Twitter at Talking Dead on Twitter. Um, if you would like to help support the show, which we would very much appreciate, you can do that by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal. And a listener pointed out to me this week that there's no link on the page on the website for that. It just kind of is a URL that exists. So if someone misses it here on the show, they, they might not know what to do. So I'm going to rectify that and put a link on the page to that. But Smart. in the meantime, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal to make a one-time contribution to the show. Uh, or you can join as a patron at patreon.com slash the talking dead, uh, where you can make a very small monthly pledge as little as a dollar a month or anything like that. And everything we collect goes into the costs associated with putting on the show. And we appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate all the donations very, very much. So thank you to everyone who's done that. All right, we'll be back next week when we are covering Season 5, Episode 5 of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, looking forward to that. And until then, it's Canada Day, it's uh, uh, Independence Day, it's holidays all over the place. So enjoy your holidays and your time off, people, if you get it. Uh, and if not, well, try to enjoy things anyways. <laughs> Go ahead and enjoy them anyway. Yeah, please do. Until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink, and welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. So, that secret I promised right at the end here, just as we're wrapping up, um, the the big gap in my knowledge, Jason, is that I don't know how to make coffee. All right. I've never, never used a coffee maker. I sort of get the idea... You put grounds in, you put water in, you turn it on. But I wouldn't know how to do it right to make decent coffee because I don't drink coffee, so I never make coffee. And I certainly wouldn't have the confidence to do it if someone else was going to drink it because it would be terrible. Okay. Well, can, I can tell you that there's no secret to it. There's not even a real recipe. Just uh -huh. put a bunch of coffee in a filter and put some water in the back of the machine and press the button. See, I, I would make sure that the pot is doesn't have coffee in it already. I even forgot about the filter. I, I don't know that I would have remembered that at the time. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, it, it's not hard. The um, the making of the coffee is not nowhere near as important as the quality of the coffee itself. I see. So if you have good quality coffee, then all you're doing is pouring hot water through it. Like, it's not rocket science. Interesting. It's, you put some coffee in there so that water can pour through it. Cool. All right. If you, well. if you want more coffee more coffee. If you want more coffee in the pot, put more coffee in the filter. If you put like two scoops of, uh, water in the, uh, or two scoops of coffee in the filter and you make, you know, 12 cups of coffee, it's going to be a little bit watery. Well, that's what I was, that's what I'm that's not it. sure about. Okay. Yeah. Just fill the, if you put, if you're making two cups of coffee uh -huh. and you put like 14 scoops of coffee in the filter, yeah, it's still going to be good coffee. <laughs> if it's good, like you're not going to fuck it up. So put more coffee in the filter than you think you need. And you're fine. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, it's a gap in my knowledge because I've never done it and do not feel confident 
doing it. So there you go.